The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. It's been a pretty tough week on the markets. Experts are predicting a rough and volatile end to the year as well. To talk us through how to get through this volatility, we're joined now by Carl Kapulingwa, market analyst at Think Markets. Carl, it's great to have you with us today. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Oriel. Now, just before we jump into the markets, and we've got so much to talk about there, tell us a little bit about you and how long you've been trading the markets. Oh, okay. Well, tra- trading the markets, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a very long time. So, uh, when was the first Telstra float? I guess is probably the answer to that question, or might, might have even been the Commonwealth Bank one before that. So, I think it's 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 early '90s, that's for sure. So, I was a uh, a budding young investor at the age of 16, which I think was the legal age that you could buy shares at the time. And I, I was working a, a, a part-time job in a, in a supermarket, saving up all my pennies. Uh, and I had those pennies, a few thousand dollars in a term deposit. And I remember getting my first term deposit statement back from the bank, the old R&I bank over here in WA. And I think I got $30 worth of interest after 12 months. And I, I was just shattered just imagine me there, 16 years old, got $30 for all that hard-earned work. <laughs> and I thought, there's got to be a better way. And um, coincidentally, one of those two floats, whether it was CBA or um, Telstra was coming up, and I thought, you know what, this share market game, I think that's where the big money is. And I subscribed, I put all my pennies into it. And lo and behold, I think pretty soon after, I think the Commonwealth Bank float might have been about $5 and not long after it was about $10. Uh, and instead of earning $30 worth of interest in 12 months, sorry, I'd earned, I doubled my money uh, in, 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 you know, in a few months. And, and I thought, you know what, this, this is it. This is where my future lies. And I'm going to commit all my, all my time and resources into, into learning uh, more about this. So, yeah, I've been investing for a very long time, obviously, um, many, many years later entered the, um, you know, entered the industry as a financial analyst. Uh, and uh, we have been through many bull and bust cycles. Um, so dot com bust, uh, GFC, um, European debt crises and, and uh, COVID and whatever you want to call this one now, whatever we'll call it in a few years. So hopefully plenty of experience that your listeners can leverage off. It's funny, isn't it, Carl, you know, talking about that Commonwealth Bank or Telstra float, you know, and doing pretty well. Um, from that, I had a, bit, a very similar experience when I first started trading the markets. However, it took me to actually lose m- money to fully understand it. That's, um, <laughs> yeah, and I've got fond memories of my first experience of losing the money as well, because, you know, uh, I, had, I, I got into all those flights. It was a golden age, Ariel, wasn't it, of, of, of floats and, you know, governments, uh, the government privatising various enterprises. Um, and, and a lot of um, the Qantas was one that came on. There were a few insurance, insurance companies as well. Woolworths, CSL, 
you know, some of the biggest names um, all came on in that period. Of course, you know, kept working at the job, subscribing to those. But I tell you what, it wasn't long after that, Ariel, that I thought, you know, this this blue chip game, that's all a bit boring as well. You know, yeah. where's, where's the next level? You know, I mean, I don't know, I was late teens, but, you know, I had to be a millionaire by the time I was 21, of course. Of course. Um, so, <laughs> so I thought this got to, you know, and, uh, being uh, growing up over here in WA, I was never short of a hot tip on uh, on, a, on a on a mining stock, something that was kicking over rocks somewhere, you know, hundred kilometres southeast of Kalgoorlie. So I figured I could do it even faster, uh, and I, I I can't remember the, the the name of the first one I bought, but um, it didn't go as well as just holding those blue chips. Unfortunately, and I remember you know checking the the pages as we didn't have the internet back then every day and watching this this darn thing not go up for forever and then eventually halved in value. And I lost half my money and. But that wasn't necessarily a bad thing either, because it was, you know, a, a great sort of, um, yeah, catalyst to say, well, actually, you know, there, there might well be a better way than this. But it, it stumbles, fumbles, bumbles, and hopefully you pick yourself up, pull yourself together after each one, and come back a little bit better, better and smarter than before. But the, I think that the message here is you can't do it on your own. Uh, what you don't know, you don't know. I mean, you think about that. You don't know what you don't know. So getting help is really important. I was lucky to fall in with a group of um, uh, much older than me, crusty old traders um, that I, I met down at the ASEX building in St. George's Terrace in, here in, in WA. And they, they they sort of took me under their wing. I was the only teenager um, down there in my school holidays at the ASEX. Um, so they must have saw a little bit of uh, them in me and, uh, and, and, and certainly helped me, helped put me on the right path. So, Carl, with all of your many years' experience in the markets, what is the most concerning about what you're seeing today? Yeah, well, look, today I, I think there are plenty of things to be concerned about. As I said, I've, I've been through many, many cycles, and, and you do learn from each cycle. And each time you're in one, it feels like, well, this is this is something new. But at the end of the day, supply, demand equals price. If there's more supply out there and there's not enough demand to soak up that supply, price is going to go down. And we've got to understand what the catalyst for um, that supply is. And markets don't like uncertainty. That's the oldest rule in the book. And the best way to deal with uncertainty is to go to cash and sit in cash where your money is, you know, for all intents and purposes, safe, probably earning a few percent while um, the whole world is um, coming crashing down around you. So that, that that is, you know, investing 101. I think a lot of investors out there haven't, um, taken that on board. So their strategy is, well, in the, I've been told, as an expert told me a long time ago, that in the long run, markets always go up. So my strategy is to hold, to hold through the cycle, um, to hold all the way down because eventually it'll go back up and I'll get all my money back. Um, but that is not how professional investors do it. So professional investors try and balance reward and risk. Reward is being invested in stocks because in the long run, they do go up. And risk is they don't go up all the time. So when things get risky, we go to cash. And to, get, to answer your question about what is occurring now to increase, to elevate those risks, um, I think interest rates going from pretty much zero, let's face it, up to around about 4%, or well, that's where most people are expecting to be very soon, in such a short space of time. We're talking from November last year, really, is when the talk started from the Federal Reserve, and they started only raising rates earlier this year um, to now. That, that, that 400 basis point move is not normal. It doesn't usually happen. And the problem is when markets were so focused and set on those low rates, to adjust to those high rates in such a short space of time causes what I call dislocations in markets. So where things stop functioning, as they should under normal market conditions. Now, if you use a medical analogy here, dislocation is probably not as bad as a break. The problem is dislocations can lead to breakages. And uh, an example of a breakage is in 2008, 
when the liquidity crunch hit and uh, markets didn't trust other markets, uh, investors didn't trust other investors, there was no money to go around and markets were broken and we saw very, very big falls. Now, I think we're at the dislocation stage. I don't think we're at the breakage stage, but because of that quick adjustment, so many things can go wrong from here. I hope we don't get to breakages, but the chances of that are significantly elevated. I'm not sure if investors really understand the severity of the situation right now. Oh, I think it's becoming clearer as the market yes, is. <laughs> going down, you know, Carl. I mean, how close are we, in your view, to the bottom then, you know, given that scenario that you've just described, that we are in a very severe downturn? Yeah, I, I don't think we're near the bottom yet. Unfortunately, that's the bad news. And there are going to be rallies along the way that feel pretty real, that feel like, okay, we're out of this, the worst is behind us. And as we've seen with that one that was sort of around June, we hit 64.07 on the ASX 200, we'd rallied, um, what, seven, 800 points up to nearly 7,200. And it felt like we're coming out of this. And then lo and behold, we're back around that 64, 6,500 mark. So we're going to get rallies. I don't know if they're going to be as sharp as that, but the overall trend will, I think, remain down because we haven't resolved some of these dislocations and we haven't yet maybe experienced some of these breakages. One of the biggest things I'm worried about now is um, through that period um, of, of COVID, quite rightly so and fairly so, many governments took on a significant amount of debt, let their budgets blow out um, to help us. And I think that was the right thing to do. Unfortunately, in taking on those huge amounts of debt, it, it's not a problem when interest rates are at zero and they can issue another billion they're like trillion dollars worth of bonds uh, with a very, very low coupon rate. The problem is now to service the debts, forget about servicing um, your, your normal expenditures, but now you've got to issue debt to service debt. And you're not doing that at those very low rates. You're doing it now around 4%. So I think there could be complications that come from that. Nobody's talking about that yet. I think people will start to talk about that. The most vulnerable um, countries will be the ones back from 2012. Uh, we call them the pigs, not to be derogatory, but Portugal, Italy, Ireland, Greece, Spain. I think that's where it will start. But even a country like the US with their many, many trillions worth of debt, they could come under pressure now with interest rates having gone up so fast. And that's before we talk about the problems on the company side of things. So what companies do and then consumers, so many things can go wrong from here. So does that mean that you are putting a fairly high weighting on the chance of a global recession? Uh, no, I think uh, that's a lock. I think global recession, unfortunately, is a lock and some countries might do better than others. And hopefully Australia is one of those because savings are still pretty high over here. We're all very, um, you know, we're all highly employed. And I think that's that's what's different to this crisis. And normally when you're heading into a crisis, the, the economy is already starting to turn down. Unemployment is probably already rising. Um, uh expenditure has been high and savings are low. So I think that is some comfort and, and I'm hoping that's that's enough to, to help us struggle through this one rather than suffer through this one. Um, but yeah, I do think uh, the, the, the trends in the data, I think you look at the World Bank, you look at the IMF and their predictions, um, I think most analysts are pretty happy to concede that uh, you know, a global recession, technical recession, you know, multiple quarters, two, three quarters of negative growth uh, and rising unemployment um, is 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 on the cards, yeah. So what should investors be doing? And given this very bleak scenario, quite <laughs> depressing if you're invested in the markets, Carl. You know, you, you talked a little bit earlier about some, you know, just, you know, you were a believer in just holding because markets will go back up. Not everybody's in a position to do that. You know, you might have short, you might have, um, you know, margins on, on, your, on your trades. You might just potentially, you know, sort of be later in life and you don't have the time. To, to, to wait. How do you protect yourself from this kind of downside, which is 
across asset classes. Yeah, no, look, all very, very good, good points. And, and, and I guess we're lucky. I mean, I, I was um, talking to David Koch yesterday on Ausbiz and he was, um, we we're talking about fund managers and the dilemma of a fund manager is um, because they're very big, it's very hard to get in and out of the market. And I think one of the luxuries that individual investors have is they have that flexibility of if they sell uh, their thousand Westpac shares, it's not going to be a problem in the market. They're not going to uh, be unable to find a buyers for those shares. So I think you, you have flexibility because you're smaller to move in and out. I understand there are potentially um, capital uh, gains tax consequences. It's probably the biggest argument from my clients. Okay, look, I don't want to sell my portfolio right now because I'll have a huge capital gains tax, tax bill and I don't like the sound of that. Um, but there are methods you can apply to sort of circumvent um, selling your shares and at the same time protect yourself from the downside. So it's uh, the concept is called hedging ultimately. And hedging, um, as the name sort of suggests, is having a little bit of a bet each way. So you, your, your bet on the, on the um, risk side is, well, you've got your portfolio, that's your bet there. So to control that risk, uh, what we will tell our clients to do, there's a few ways you can do it. Um, uh, there, there are exchange traded funds, uh, which will short the market for you. So probably getting a little bit technical here, but short selling ultimately is profiting from the market or individual stocks falling in price. Okay, so you can go and investigate those. So basically, the idea is you're not going to sell your portfolio, the portfolio will go down in value, you're expecting that. But at the same time, by purchasing the short ETF, um, a lot of jargon there, by purchasing the short ETF, the, the rise in the value of that ETF will compensate you partly for or wholly uh, for the fall in your portfolio. Other ways to do it, well, I think markets, um, because we're a, a multi sort of um, asset broker, we do have these uh, products called contracts for difference. They are, a lot of people think they're quite complicated. Look, they're very simple. It, they just basically give you the ability to replicate uh, a trade on the market. So if we own our 1,000 Westpac shares, we could effectively sell those 1,000 shares using a CFD and get 100% protection to the downside on those Westpac shares. So if Westpac went down a dollar or $2 or $3, whatever it is, we would make that back in profit to compensate us for the fall on our shares, effectively eliminating our downside. At some stage, however, and I'm making this sound very simple, but at some stage, we've got to close out that hedging position, take a profit there, and then uh, at that stage, we're hoping the market's going back up, by the way. And the good news is if you can make a profit there, you can invest that money back into your, your broader portfolio um, and hopefully after the market's come down. Probably covered a lot of ground there, but if um, your, your listeners have any issues or, or problems or questions, they can um, get in touch with uh, Think Markets and, and they'll put, put them through to me. I'm happy to, to spend a bit of time with them uh, clearing things up if, if, as it were. Mm, so, so what happens if you do have some cash now? Would you be buying Cash is king. No, I don't. I think it's still too early. So I had a um, I had a, a client webinar on Tuesday, and we were talking about. Uh, there's a lot of clients. I've been saying go to cash for about six months now. Okay, but a few clients pressed me on it and said, "Well, Carl, I haven't been buying anything new, but um, what do you mean? What what is this level of cash you'd be you you think is appropriate right now?" And I mentioned the the number eighty percent. Now it's important, Ariel, that we say that um, you know, anything we discuss today is very general advice. People need to consider that within their own personal financial circumstances. Go see help. We know the drill. It's not specific advice. But this is the, just giving people an idea of the magnitude of the cash levels I think investors should be holding right now in case things get very, very bad. Um, but at the same time, you need to be nimble. Um, if, if, if things start to turn around, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, then 
you know, we, we will happily, happily apply that cash back to the market. Your average um, balance fund where most in Australians' money is invested right now, the maximum cash level that they are mandated, uh, allowed to hold is about 10, sometimes 15%. So they, they are forced to ride the ship down. This is why I sort of lamented uh, the, the job of the fund managers. Um, you don't have to do that. You, you, you've got more flexibility of what, what, what you're doing and we're suggesting a far more pro- proactive approach. But if you're selling out your positions now, there's a fair chance you're taking some pretty hefty losses. Yeah, well, yes, but things can get a lot worse. So if we, you know, if, you, if we use the GFC, for example, from top to bottom, um, the bluest of blue chip stocks uh, fell on average 55%. And I think of something like Macquarie Bank, uh, which was around about $100 pre-GFC, fell to, to under $15. So that wiped out 85% on a stock, which I think most most people who, who hold it would consider, well, Macquarie Bank's a blue chip. That could never do that. Um, you know what? If, if dislocations turn to broker, breakages on, on many of, of, of the stocks we consider to be blue chip right now, those are the losses you could see. So if we're down about 15% from the highs now, just consider what could happen if we fall, if we fell another you know, 35%, uh, which, which would be similar to the GFC falls. And I, I think in this situation, given the unprecedented nature of what's led us here, um, that is entirely possible. What would be the trigger for you, Carl, to get back into the market? Well, typically, look, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And, and I've seen it happen so many times. And typically what we're waiting for as professionals is that final big capitulatory sell-off. That's what we call it. So we want to see that last gasp, that point where investors who have been reluctant to sell out all that time for the exact reason you said, well, it's gone down. It's it's gone down. I'm losing. I, I won't sell out now because you know if I sell out now, it'll go back up. When that last group of investors finally capitulates and says, you know what, it's the end of the world. I am selling out. That's what we're looking for in the market. So we're typically looking for for price action for the markets to do certain things on the charts, typically um, that tell us that that selling has in, entered the market. And the other aspect of it is the shorts covering back. So there are huge hedge funds out, right, out there right now who are betting on another leg down, who are betting on a, a global economic catastrophe. And that might sound horrible. You might think, well, these are, these are horrible people. But I don't think that's true because in markets, you've got the option to be a bull because you think the market's going up. You've got the option to be a bear because you think the market's going down and you're going to go short. And that's fair. Everything's fair in the markets. I think the worst case scenario right now is you be the other animal in the markets which is an ostrich, okay? And I think that's the worst case scenario. So be a bull, say, hey, I think the market's going back up. I'm going to hold on to my portfolio. I'm going to back myself. Be a bear, get on the short side or hedge yourself. But please, please, please don't be that ostrich that sticks their head in the sand and just hopes that everything will get better because that's the worst. Uh, I think that's the worst case scenario. No, I think that's some wonderful advice. Carl, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, it's a pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, Ariel. And that's all we have time for, for this edition of Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Good luck if you're trading, if you're investing uh, out there. It's pretty tough at the moment. So uh, hold on to your hats. We'll see you next time.